Hi everyone, uh, and welcome to another Empire podcast. Uh, hopefully this one will be on religion, that's certainly what we're going to aim to talk about. Uh, and so we've invited a special guest to join us, uh, Renna, who will introduce themselves in a moment. Uh, Renna is basically a part of our plot team, helps write plot, uh, and has a particular focus on uh, religion, hence why she's joining us today. Do you want to introduce yourself, Renner? Uh, yeah, so my name is Renner Robson. Uh, I was a player of Empire for a few years. Um, sort of, I played the very first event, didn't for a bit, then played about a year, year and a half of uh, of the game. Uh, and then for various reasons, I got interested in plot writing. Um, got on board now. I've been doing it for about three years or so. Um, it's super interesting. Uh, I have ended up uh, writing uh, various religion plot, especially uh, I enjoy some of the stuff where we have played around with heresies or blasphemies, which the PCs have then responded to with their orthodoxy and that kind of tensions involved there. I think, and I think in general, when I, especially even when I'm a player, I'm really interested in the religion and setting and and those sorts of themes in general in LRP. Um, so uh, Matt and Andy have invited me to be the third voice in uh, Opinion Alley today. You've also done a lot of work on the actual, the the, the so-called false virtues. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you've done a lot of the actual core writing there, haven't you? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know how much I, I think we don't want to talk too much about this because we kind of want to avoid spoilers. But uh, yeah, so we've, one of the things I've been doing is, is sort of looking at some of the things which are false virtues and uh, helping kind of nail down exactly what uh, kind of auras that they can produce and so forth. And that's not just to write individual plots about them, but the idea is that then that creates a consistent set of tools that uh, plot writers can use going forward. So there are some false virtues, uh, things like anarchy, where we had they had appeared in various plots, but not necessarily with a completely consistent set of auras used in them and of course in some ways that makes it harder for pcs to sort of know when they see you know you kind of want pc to be able to kind of learn every time to recognize this kind of stuff uh, and and for all sorts of reasons you know um it's hard to write write an entire set of auras for the true virtues and then also some other ones uh so some of these haven't had time to get pinned down and that's kind of some of the development work i've been doing and, and that's a really interesting process uh because it involves a lot of going back and forth about specific wording, and it's outside the scope of today to talk about how you write. We, a we do seem text. to have we do seem to have got ahead of ourselves a little bit in that we we're have, talking we, about heresy instead to. of the thing I've been itching to do, which is uh, challenge Matt to name all seven virtues without checking the wiki. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's harsh. Uh, ambition, courage, loyalty, wisdom, prosperity, vigilance. Ah, oh, I've missed one along the way. God damn it. <laughs> you have. Uh, which one have I missed? Uh, ambition, courage, loyalty. I can't vigilance. remember what you said now. I, I know which ones you've missed. I'm not telling um, you them. Pride. <sighs> yeah, okay. In your face. Yeah, yeah. Okay, was, <clears throat> was that seven? Was that, that seven? Was it was. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so um, I obviously wasn't around for when the game was originally being written and, and the, the development work was originally being done. So, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of who it was who originally wrote the religion and kind of the context of that? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the context, I think, is first of all, uh, a thing. Um, religion's incredibly important in, in Empire. Um, and, and because of this, again, it goes back to the style of the game. And we talked about this in the last podcast in, with diplomacy, why it, it's really central to a player-led game. Because 
and this is an interesting, we might come back to this later in the talk, is an interesting discussion I had with uh, some, uh, some of our other writers a while back. What's really important in Empire is, is not, it is the decisions you make uh, in the game. Um, in terms of, it's, it's often clear what the problem is, and it's not really clear what you should do about it. We, we, we often, when we present plots or other elements of the game to the players, we try and make it as clear as possible what, what the problem is. The, the, the point is that it's all about what you do. What, what choices do you make? And, and in a game that's about players and is about the choices that you make, then situations where you could do A or B and that is finely balanced are really important. And that could be finely balanced economically. Maybe something is more in the interests of one nation or another. Or what is actually often much more interesting and much more engaging is if that decision can be one of morality, of right and wrong, of religion. Well, so of you, say, you say morality and right and wrong, but I think, I think this is interesting because it's uh, a discussion we've had a few times in many ways. Uh, what the way and the virtues often do is set out um, how one should act, but they don't necessarily say what you should do, or, or rather they kind of inform all of that. I mean, I think I think it's kind of, kind of a complicated thing. Thing sure. of, there is no virtue that says murder is right or murder is wrong. Um, and you see this, uh, and I don't want to get too much into detail of this because I know this is an active IC debate. Several, several of the virtues say that murder is right or wrong. In specific circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, but the like, point it, is, they have a huge impact. Have, have the potential to have a huge impact on the decisions you make. Yes, absolutely. And that's why um, it's so such an important part of the game because you, what you really want is what you don't want is a vacuum. You don't you don't want a, 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 a blank canvas. You want as your character to have loads of things pressing down on the decisions you make. Yes. Um, so we knew at the design phase it was going to be really important and. We fair, I, th I don't know where the original seeds came from, but fairly early on, um, it was uh, it was John Newton. Was it? Yeah, it was an early discussion about the concepts of virtues. Back when the game was called Drittenspiel and was all about penguins. Right. Um, we had a little bit of a chat around on it. John Newton did some stuff about what the vir the concept of virtue in Rome, ancient Rome, I think it was. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we developed that a little bit. We kicked around some virtues, and then um, Dan Williams and his team took over. Yeah, and they uh, did a, a, just an astonishing job. Yeah. Absolutely astonishing. Uh, you know, I, I think if you like the religion system, as, it, as it, or like some of the core elements of it, you know, it's really absolutely a testimony to the work they did. Um, and then me and Andy came back in fairly late on. Um, too late in many respects. We should have got more involved early, but but Empire was a big game and there was a lot of work to do. Um, and put some of the the, the polish and the editing in. Uh, yeah. But all that core work was done was done by Dan and his team and and, and his what was on the wiki. Um, I think we did a lot of work cleaning up the auras and tidying up the auras at some. Yeah, point. it was a, it was a couple of years ago. We took a look at the skills and and similar based on the experience, the hindsight of how they how things had been working for the first two or three years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if, I have a, if I have a disappointment, I think it's only that Chris Edwards's uh, virtue that never got a proper name, I don't think, of eating healthily and doing plenty of exercise didn't make the cut. <laughs> well, so I think that actually moves us on to talking about why these virtues, you know, um, that they're not necessarily, a, you know, in many ways, they, that a prize is a good example of a thing which, of course, you know, in, in, uh, is, uh, in, 
what do you call it, in, in other morality systems in the real world is considered a sin, but you, yes. you know, pride is explicitly the virtue in empire. So I think it's worth talking about why these seven virtues were chosen. It's, it's worth noting that, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I am, pride and ambition were the two virtues that we were absolutely confident from the very beginning we're going to be in. The first virtue we came up with pride because of the idea that it is often presented as being a bad thing. Yeah. Proud and ambition because I had a major bee in my bonnet about the Harry Potter universe's treatment of House Slytherin. <laughs> exactly. um, other people had other reasons, but those were the main reasons that those two were those two were the I, first two that we know. I think, if I remember rightly, I think one of Dan Williams' original, as he was kind of developing it and looking at what was in and what was out, was that he was thinking about trying to find the patterns of behavior that will give you a good time in an LRP event. Um, a lot of that really underpins the religious system. Generally speaking, if you play to the virtues or pick a virtue or one or two virtues and play to them strongly, the game, and this is neither perfect because no game design is perfect, but the, the intention of it is you'll have a better game as a result. So something like ambition, well, it's just obvious. If you come to Empire and go, well, I'm going to do stuff, I'm going to achieve this, and I'm going to set out, and I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to get myself elected senator or I'm going to cause this. You'll just have a better game than if you sit in your camp and wait for something to happen to you. I, I, it's quite interesting to think about. I'm just looking at some now on the wiki and loyalty is a nice example of one, which is it's less obviously like that. And ambition, OK, sure, it's a political game. You know, succeeding is good. But kind of loyalty is not about a generic loyalty. It's about kind of knowing what you're loyal to but then and it's all about like building people up and working with them and that is so much about you know i know a lot of people talk about how to design larp groups um and some people have that kind of knives out policy where you know you can you, you within the group you sort of agree that you won't necessarily have direct conflict and i think in many ways that that, that plays into a game which rewards loyalty as a as a virtue because it sort of says i mean some people act, absolutely enjoy a kind of knives in thing where you're going to you're going to kind of get argue with your friends and that's okay too but I think it's um, Empire is a game where actually having a really strong group of people who've also got your back really, I think, makes you have a better game overall. And I think it's really nice the religion sort of endorses that. So this is a really great thing to be doing. I think, I mean, the thing I would say, though, that, 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 that loyalty is really interesting there. So, so let's pick up. Why does loyalty give you a better game? You've said, well, it can, can help you build a stronger group, which can give you a better game. But actually... Just the act of being loyal will give you a better game. If you see people around you and you think, well, I'm loyal to that person or I'm loyal to this concept, I will support this person, I'll support that concept, you'll have a better game because the action of being loyal is, is enjoyable. It will give you something. It will yeah, give you motivation. It will give you a, a force to get behind and be part of. It will make you part of something. You know, so many people make the classic mistake when coming to a fast LARP game of building a lone character with no loyalties to anything except themselves and then wonder why no one wants to talk to them. Right. It's, well, the, it's, the, it's the Aragorn in the pub problem. Yes. Um, and, and essentially, it, it, being lo the lone ranger in the pub is, is probably not a great route to having fun. Loyalty is also, I think, a good example of two of the things that we'll see again and again through the virtues. Um, it encourages you to stick to your guns, mm -hmm. which yeah. can be quite challenging in a, in a live role-playing environment. Yeah. And also, it encourages you to be a dick. Yes. Um, it it encourages you to say the most important thing in my life is the way or the empire or Wintermark or Bob. Um, and consequently, I'm going to do whatever is necessary to protect and help that 
thing I am dedicated to prosper. And that can be a challenge. Quite a lot of the virtues work that way. Pride is very similar. Pride gives you, um, I mean, pride does two things. One is it encourages you to stick to the brief because we know that that is more enjoyable. Uh, not just for you, incidentally, but for everybody else. The more players buy into the brief, the more they bring the setting alive for everybody. So it, 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 it actually improves the game for everyone. But, but pride is really saying, look, stick to your guns and, and, and embody the, 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 the tenets of your nation. And with the, the, the absolute certainty that at some point that's going to bring you into conflict with what everybody else wants. And that I, I think one nice thing actually I like about, I'm just looking at the tenets of pride, is that what, one of the tenets is the virtuous inspire others to greatness. They do not demean them. And what actually I really like about that is that in many ways, um, although the virtues encourage conflict, I think they do a good job of encouraging generous conflict. And, and by that, I sort, I sort of mean the idea that you that pride is saying actually succeeding by demeaning others is not a prideful action. Uh, and there's a long discussion that I don't think we will have about, about that sort of stuff in, in LLP. But um, I, I think it's nice because in a game which has political conflict as its kind of core thing running all the way through, things which provoke conflict but in a, a way that is generous and hopefully in an OC way kind um I think makes everyone have a better time I mean certainly that's how I feel um, yeah I would, I would agree with that and I think I mean I will say you know it's it's it, no one should ever feel like the complete onus to like you know and it's something we worry too much about the whole discussion we could have about emotional labor and all of this kind of stuff uh but like yeah uh, go on sorry I think you can, you know, you can see there some of the iterations from the previous game that we've been heavily involved running, uh, Maelstrom. And Maelstrom absolutely did include religions and included strong themes of uh, get ahead in this game by just, you know, messing up everybody else's lives and making their lives terrible. Uh, you know, the serpent was essentially the, the deity of lying to everybody and being for, for good reasons. And but, but but it was essentially about treating everyone else in life as nothing more than a tool to achieve your goals. And I think, you know, our ambition says much more than that. And I, and I think the point is what what we discovered in Maelstrom was there's a kind of soullessness to a game that is about nothing but destroying your opponents. That works in a board game. It's not great fun in a role-playing game. Um, you I mean, know I, think it, mean? I think it can be fun, but um, yeah, perhaps not as the, the... Over the long term, the fun starts to, to become too yes. expensive. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah. and I think there's a question about, you know, I often talk to people about scale. Uh, Empire is a very large game. It's a festival, and it's quite a large festival now. Um, and uh, there's and only obviously designed to sort of run in an indefinite sense or for a, a long period of time. And so I suppose those things change how your design decisions will work. What will work in a small scale game for maybe a hundred players for a limited run is very very different to a you know to yeah. And there's an interesting analogy, actually, weirdly, with a board game as well. If you think about a board game, a classic competitive board game, where you absolutely are trying to destroy your opponents, the well-designed board game, the act of destruction occurs over the length of the, the board game. Uh, and actually, the board game falls apart if you destroy your opponents in the first three moves, and there's another three hours of play in which they can't do anything. That's no fun for anyone. Uh, in a well-designed board game, the destruction takes place over the length of the game. And, and it's probably true in a role-playing game as well, that if you're going to have a very PvP 
uh, role-playing game, very competitive PvP role-playing game, you want the competition to play out over the lifespan of the game, which means that if you're not designing a, a, a short game, then you know you need to think about that and weigh it up. Are you familiar with the Ameritrash versus Eurogame split in board games, Matt? Not massively. I, I'm broadly familiar. I, I, I play some board games, and mm-hmm. I know that when I play the Star Trek one, where we have to roll 57 dice at a time, that is apparently a merry trash. And when I play the European games, in which there are no dice, but we all sit there and go, mmm, and stroke our chins a lot, that is apparently the European design. Beyond that, I'm not familiar. There, there is, um, I mean, obviously, like any paradigm uh, or any binary, it's bullshit. Um, but um, our there's a concept in so a lot of your games like settlers of Catan. i've played that many times all of that exactly that the pvp in those games is sort of indirect yes um and one of the measures of a euro game is that like um you know you should never you you or kind of you don't want to be in a position where one player is sort of clearly steaming ahead and mm-hmm. everyone else can't do anything about it. So if you, there's a game called Twilight Imperium, which probably takes like nine hours to play. It's a ma- massive space opera sort of game. But the trouble is that you can be in a position where one player has clearly won, but there were five hours of the game to go. Yeah. I mean, some people absolutely love Twilight Imperium, and I respect that, they, that they have opinions. But um, I, I was. There are people who think the world is flat. And I actually really, and in general, actually, I really like America Trash. I, I really like really thematic big games like that. Um, but it's sometimes they come with it. My, my first board game was Talisman. I absolutely love Talisman. That's kind of archetypal for this sort of thing. Um, but it's clearly a weakness of the board game if you can play it and destroy your opponents by turn three and there's still five hours to play. Exactly. I, 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 so so my, my point is in many ways, I think Empire is the Euro game of LRP. Or at least is, I, I don't mean like European love. I mean like in my head, kind of being, there's, there is an analogy there. Um, there's know. always talisman. There is always talisman. Uh, I mean, in many ways, yeah, but I, I see think what you're saying. Like... It, the, the essence in Empire is to tr- actually there's a huge focus on what we, what I now call P with you know instead of player versus player, it's player with player. It's <laughs> it's interactions between players that aren't necessarily purely competitive, that aren't adversarial, that are actually associative rather than adversarial. Which is what you have in Settlers of Catan. What's the classic key element of Settlers of Catan? It's the trading phase. Uh, I've got wood for sheep. Um, um, I, I should put out, I should put out Matt, uh, that Raf has pointed out in our text channel that we are, we may be getting slightly off piece given this isn't about religion. Uh, so I think it is. We should. No, I think, I think, I think, I think, it, I think it is. I'm just wondering. Let, let's make sure we kind of curve back around, perhaps. Uh, yes. Where did we get? Where did we go down this this blind alley? How did so we get? So I think there? I think what we're saying is the ways in which the virtues design encourage this sort of play yes um and i think this is that's right and your argument was that an element of that game design is to encourage associative play as much as adversarial play and my argument was previous religion systems where in maelstrom the game was built on on a a model of player interaction that was purely adversarial so the religious system there was purely adversarial uh, not purely, but, but uh, contained elements that were purely mm-hmm. adversarial. Whereas Empire, which is trying to encourage associative play as strongly as it encourages adversarial play, does have elements like build up your fellow pers- characters, loyalty, pride is is making everyone around you feel proud as well. Yeah, so we, we talk a lot about how we like to encourage kind of conflict in plots, but actually I think it's more accurate to say that whenever we're writing any plot, we talk about 
player interaction um and how will this make players interact with players in positive and negative ways and my point is i think it's got to a, a i mean the virtue i my character followed when i was playing was courage and i absolutely love courage and the virtue because it is at, at its core the virtue of sticking to your guns about doing mm. doing a thing and sticking to your guns about what you believe in and all of those things i think produce more interesting play when when, when they happen do you know what i mean but don't necessarily you know courage doesn't say you know go along and have a big shouting match with someone but it just means that when you're talking or arguing or debating with someone um it says value your point of view and i think, I think that is a good a good thing yes uh, and 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 again you can see that core game design you know all my experience of running fest lrp games is that you will have more fun if you stick up for your character's point of view and refuse to get uh browbeaten into going along with what everyone around you says um in a game and that's not true in every larp game but in a game in which the interactions between you and the other players are the interesting point of the game then if you stand up for it and, and create conflict and drama around your character's views you will have more fun than if you just run with the herd mm -hmm. and hence courage yeah exactly it's um, the best virtue Sorry, we're not making judgments. I do apologize. But we should, is definitely uh, the best virtue. Well, what's that thing which I think D&D does it where it says, this is the best alignment because, and they, they do it for every single alignment. We should do that for every virtue. Um, in fact, I'm sure I've read something which is like, wisdom is the best virtue because courage is the best virtue. If it doesn't exist, we could write it. Um, <laughs> put it on the wiki, maybe. I don't know, yeah. But and that, that is we missed, we haven't really talked about, the, ah, now prosperity is one that I think is worth talking about, why it's in. Yeah. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. So uh, prosperity is it's kind of interesting virtue, isn't it? Because it's it's not just getting a big pile of money. It's it's a more it's more complex than that. The initial design um, basis, not not the whole thing, but the sort of the, the 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 elevator pitch for it was to encourage players not to stick stuff up their asses. Right. Stockpiling was uh, is counter to fun. It's more yeah, fun. So, so, so if we look at the core design problem. That this is trying to discourage it's it's grenade syndrome it's i've got a big spangly thing and it, it's the same problem that uh I, magic items expiring after one year is also meant to solve right because it's, it's basically saying don't put all your stuff in a big pile and save it unless i mean you could be saving for something but don't, saving five ten thousand thrones for a rainy day rather than going out and investing it because in a very real sense what you're doing is taking those props and effectively taking them out of the game and you, you um whenever you did the economy podcast a year or so ago or maybe a little more you know you talk about the kind of the flow of the money fizz reps in the game and one way in which money fizz reps or money effectively leaves the game is if people don't do anything with it do you know what i mean yes in practical terms yes but it has uh, yeah. a flips oh sorry go on, yeah just that Prosperity, I think, achieves lots of other things as well. I mean, at its simplest level, it's designed to give a measure of defence to very rich people. We knew the game would feature very rich people. We had no idea who they would be. But we knew that the economic system we were building was going to allow for very rich people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, And we wanted them to be well defended within the virtue morality system of the well, world. What, what, what I find quite interesting is that essentially like it's clear that people who hoard money are, are not good but it, it also says actually uh there's no virtue in asceticism you know uh mm -hmm. it, it the, the way is not a religion that says 
um, give away all your worldly possessions and live as a hermit. <laughs> no. Um, you know, it, it says it, you know, uh, and obviously a lot of, probably really don't want specific examples, but a lot, there are lots of real world which say you can keep some of your wealth, but also make sure you kind of give some of it away or invest it and whatever, you know, you know, the, the, those are, those are real things. So it's sort of said actually, if, if you see someone who's done well for themselves and is now then has bought themselves fancy clothes or going out and out and night on the town of it or something, that's not a bad thing. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because sometimes I think we carry that with us and the game is just deliberately trying to distinguish that and saying, yeah. oh, this is, it's, there's a subtext, I think, to many of the virtues of prosperity is an interesting example of it, um, which is about empowering players to say no to other players. Yeah, that's fine. Do you want to um, talk a little bit one of the elements in prosperity, I think, that, that is key is that we wanted to have something in the game that empowered players to say, no, I will not give you my healing for free. I will not cast this ritual for free. I, I won't I won't give you the things that I have because you want them or because you are convinced that there is a greater good to be served. I expect to be paid for the things that I have got. They, they belong to me, they're mine. And prosperity, I think, is the virtue that most obviously underlines that idea of I should. I do not have to be mutual to be on message for the religion of the empire. Yeah. Yes, I mean, and and you also see this in a way that there, there is a philosophy within the setting which is mutualism and the greater good, which is the one that the Commonwealth has, yep. which is not the way. Um, and I don't know if the decision to make that a deliberate part of the setting, but not the empire, was a designed to highlight the way in which there's a thing about the Commonwealth, which is that the Commonwealth is made up of NPCs. Yes. So we don't have to worry about whether they're having fun or not. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And yeah, yeah, yeah. mutualism it, it, is, is good and it is something that we have players in the system who are striving for. But it can also be less fun if your first reaction is to simply give all your money to the group's war chest. Sure. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I know groups who do, but, you know, there's, there's various stuff about that, what you do, what, what you do with your income and your money and so forth. I mean, I find it interesting the way in which uh, let's talk talking about the wider setting for a moment. Say, take in Dawn, for instance, where because of the way in well, the very unique way in which money and wealth exists within the nobility structure, you kind of have this thing where the prosperous noble makes stuff, but isn't the person who then goes and invests it and does makes their money work, but then is also the one, but then gets the war because you have, you know, you have a seneschal to do that and all this kind of stuff. So yes. it's, it's in, and it's interesting thinking about the way in which actually each of the different nations interact with the because we could we which i think we should probably try to try to talk about the way in which the religion exists not just as an abstract thing in the setting but how it exists embedded in each of the nations because i think that they all respond to it in different ways and different virtues i don't think different virtues are more important but i mean to a degree you know the the, the lee has loyalty shot through uh, you know, the, the obvious example recently is we did a we did a development on the three tra the three traditions of wintermark uh, yes, exactly. And we very explicitly call out that each tradition has certain virtues that resonate more strongly with its uh, with its themes and concepts. Right, definitely. I seem to recall when we did the early design stage that every nation had a, a realm uh, sort of allocated yeah. to it and a virtue allocated to it. Not in a kind of, this belongs to this, but just in a kind of, it was just a tag um so, 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 so uh, and high guard were both winter nations for example whereas the marches in the league i think were autumn nations i can't remember yeah. the virtues off the, the, well, I, I, the, the league feels like autumn loyalty to me if you know what i mean that's quite interesting dawn and winter mark are summer i can't remember who was spring uh it was navarre and brass coast no oh, yeah. brass coast was night 
Yeah. Anyway, you can you keep uh, yeah, yeah, going yeah, to. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't. It's that. It's easy to. One of the risks of any of those things. It's and one of the reasons they're not on the wiki now is because they're not really important. No, no, they're, they're, important. they're good rules of the writing. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, informed our writing as we were pulling the mm. threads together for for nations really. And, and, and it was actually more useful the way around. I know we've gone off on a tangent now, but it was more useful the way around. It helps us to define some of the themes of realms a little bit by yeah, looking exactly. at them in terms of the nations rather than in. in yeah, terms I think of seasons. the two processes came at the same time. Basically, there's a feedback loop there, but it happened with the virtues as well, as I recall to some extent. Am I interested to talk about wisdom because I think wisdom is on oft misunderstood virtue it's not about being sensible in in that sort of you know we might colloquially talk about so an unwise action to me you know that wasn't well thought through or not sensible but actually wisdom is not really talking about that it's talking about a different it has it has a, it's intimately related to kind of knowledge and an understanding of the world but it's not quite in the way that yes and i know that that's the thing that you know people often talk in play about. I don't know if you want to talk any more about that. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, certainly in terms of core behaviours, I can think of, you know, two or three things that for me are, are, are crucial in wisdom. One is that idea that the knowledge you have is limited. And again, our experience of LARP games is that sometimes players get the most insane batshit ideas in their head. And interestingly, and, and just as they're playing the game, just like in real life, when people get batshit ideas in their head, they can be really difficult to move um, because players know there is an objective truth in, in a role playing game. Often they, they, they imagine often on the scantiest of evidence that they've, they've somehow had acquired it. And it, and it could be really random. It's, it's not a it's not a criticism. It is it's just that, you know, sometimes they'll have absolutely the right answer and be totally like, oh, we've no idea whether this is right or not. And other times they'll have utterly made some random shit up and be absolutely convinced that they have compelling evidence for it. So part, and, and that could be a real problem because either you change your world to suit what the players have just made up, which is not the kind of game I like running, or you're running with a consistent setting, at which point the setting continues to throw up evidence that, that disproves the thing that the player believes. And the player can actually get out of character frustrated because they can't make sense of what's happening because they have a compelling knowledge of what is the truth and the world is not fitting with it. Um, yes. And so wisdom says, question the things you know. You know, don't uh, just go off the... True, but it also has a flip side to that, which I think is about empowering, yeah. again, which is it says, act, basically. Act on what you know. Don't, don't wait. Try and get perfect knowledge. It's, uh, it was quite a contentious virtue initially, as I remember. It was one of the ones that nearly didn't make the cut. Uh, but I really like it for its... Um, it, it covers yeah. something that, um, that I encountered in the gumshoe role-playing game, which is um, any number of things could be happening, but only one thing is happening. Mm -hmm. um, if you're spending a lot of time speculating about what's going on, you haven't got enough information, go and get some more um, to try and get you off your off your bottom to go That's out there. Into what so, so, wisdom is successful protagonist in um, occult investigation games. Mm. Uh, yes, no, exactly. Because I think we've all, we've all been there in uh, I have uh, role playing games when everyone's or, or in lots of situations when everyone's sort of around a table going, what is this? What is this? What is this? And as you say, sometimes you just want to go. Well, stop using 40 words, use four, and then uh, go out and do it. Another example of it, I think, uh, I we've, again, tangent, is the Blade in the Dark system of heists. Mm -hmm. You are better off having a discussion about what you think is going on and then going out there and doing things rather than trying to plan for every eventuality. Well, doesn't Blade in the Dark not... have a kind of a cunning way of doing it? Because, of course, I mean, like, 
planning heists in conventional role-playing games is normally like you take, spend three sessions planning the heist oh, and then God, it's Shadowrun. <laughs> right, well, I've never played that, but yes, uh, I'm a bit, bit, too, bit too young or old. Uh, no, young. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like Wisdom. Uh, and I have friends who are really, really, very, really, very keen on it. Um, uh, that, but that call to action is, is vital. It, yeah, you know, exactly. Well, well I mean, and actually the call to action is vital, I think, to all yeah. the virtues. One thing what I about think... vigilance? Because that's the really interesting one. I think um, vigilance is very interesting, yeah. I think in many ways it's it's very different to, to some of the others, partly because more than any of the, of the of the other virtues, it tells you to think about what the NPCs are doing. And the NPCs are often spectacularly irrelevant in, in 95% of the Empire. I mean, I accept that the, you know, the, the Grendel are raiding the, the South Coast and the, the Druze are attacking. But what they're doing, other than the fact they're attacking, is often spectacularly irrelevant. So, so I'm looking at it now, and uh, the, the immediate call to action I see is it has seek out your poison in your neighbor's field, lest your own crops be blighted. It, so it's, 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 it's permission to be nosy. As yeah, well. it's a, yeah. To to find out to poke your nose into other people's business. So so you know there, there's there's a that that thing where and, and you see this actually in the design of like the right of witness thing in the synod, and we might come on and talk a bit more about kind of the synod as a thing. Because uh, I think it is very important. Um, but like, you know, actually, if if someone's doing something and you're not sure about it and you're like, oh, that's mm, are, are those people there? They're secretly badens. Um, the, then vigilance is the virgin that says, well, why didn't you find out? Because if it's going wrong over there, I might go wrong over here first. What's, what's really nice about it, though, is it's not just the virtue of finding out what's going on over there. It's the virtue of deciding what's going on over there and then attacking them first. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, is, that is really cool in my opinion. That, that, for me, is the point where I come in with my NPC element. You're absolutely right. The, the PC element is really important. It's, it's all about poking your nose into other people's business and making sure that it is not a threat to you and yours. But it, there's also an element of there are clearly these NPC threats all around you. You mm -hmm. should go and destroy them. You know, Vigilance says very clearly that you should burn the Druze to the ground, that you should sink every Grendel boat. Because these people are a threat to your way of life. They are a threat to you and your people. They are a threat to, to everything. So take uh, them out before they it's take It's certainly interesting in the case of the Druze where, you know, they, they are, um, I often think of them as being the biggest threat in that regard because to a degree, I always feel like the other, the other all nations can be reasoned with, but it's explicit in the Druze brief that basically any deal you make with them is always time limited by when they, it's a when they stab you in the back sort of thing, not an if they're going to stab you in the back. And I think that is, and of course vigilance plays kind of fascinatingly into that. And, and also from a, you know, there's always a kind of a in setting, out of setting discussion. You kind of, you, you understand why vigilance it becomes important because, of course, I mean, there are the, the Faradun are an example of the people in the setting who clearly understand some of the virtues are virtues, although they don't agree with all of them are virtues. And they also think some of the false virtues are real virtues. But, you know, the, for, in the Empire's context with en enemies on all sides, it's really clear why, you know, vigilance becomes really relevant to them, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's nice because, uh, in a way, uh, particularly the bit about poking your nose into other people's business, is it while it while it tells you to deal with the druge and the other external threats, it also reminds you that there are uh, that there are internal threats like your mm -hmm. other player characters, but also 
it puts forward the idea that the military council's war against the barbarians is important, but so is the synod's war against wrong-thinking people. Yeah, so is this a good time to talk a little bit? I'm not quite sure we've covered all the virtues, but... Uh, we've we've sort of come round to the point where I can say vigilance, like ambition, which is where we started, um, is a good virtue for causing you to proactively go out and do things. Mm-hmm. And then we can leave that, having done all seven virtues. Hey. Uh, have we done all seven? Hey. I've been ticking yeah, them yeah, off yeah. as I've gone through. Okay, good, good, good. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, this is a good point to talk about the Synod, because this is, this is the really interesting thing for me, the thing that made me really, really kind of keen on the religion, is that you're baking religious the religion into the political power of the setting. Mm. Um so you, you, I mean, I mean, the synod is less powerful in many ways than the Senate, but I mean, well, <laughs> that's an argument. Um, but but, the but, but but the synod has, I always, we we also, especially since the kind of the mandates and all of that have developed and the statements of principle, the synod is the only body that really effectively and consistently can speak to the vox populi the, the, not the vox populi, speak to the populace you know it's the only I, I, I think i would take out your caveats it's the only imperial body that speaks to the, the, the... now there's no doubt that you could pass something in the senate and we might run a piece of plot where people are outraged well, and, we, and, we, and we say and this is true that the conclave if if, if, if something gets passed in the conclave it will be relevant to magicians in the empire because sure. that's a, that's a subset um Yes, if you want to move the people of the empire, the synod is where you go. Well, the only the only comparable power is the throne's ability to make an address, which is will definitely be listened to, but is also quite limited. Partly, I think that that was something that arose. That wasn't an, that wasn't something we were very clear on initially. I don't believe it was something that came out over the first couple of years as we started to look at how the synod worked. Yes, but it, it, I think it's out, the outgrowth of our basic idea when we were right back at the beginning when we were building this that we wanted secular power for our religion rather than yes. divine magic yes and that's the key that, that that is the absolutely the key here that that, that empire is trying to replicate not trying to replicate the real world but is it is drawing off real world models not uh, in which priests have have power uh, temporal power political yeah. power and your your power as a priest power. temporally is completely unrelated to your ability to do or to produce auras you can be yeah. a priest with every single priest skill you can own lots of magic items that let you do really powerful auras but that none of that gives you the bit the, the only link between the two is the fact that more votes in the synod give you more liao that's the only real link between political priestly power and spiritual priestly power although of course in in actual fact they're linked because the role playing you do you know if you are if you if you go out and minister to people then they will like you more and that gives you political power but in terms of you know it's not that you know you could imagine I don't know if this is a real love, a real thing in any love ever, but you know, so only someone who is a level nine priest gets to be the Pope. But it's only only if you've brought priests up to level nine do you get to be Pope uh, or, or whatever. And 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 that also lets you do the really cool Pope miracles. Um, we, we do have a handful of priests who don't have any priests at all. Yes, absolutely. And and yes, I mean there there are archetypes in nations which are clearly religious. And those archetypes do not require you to have a congregation, nor actually any priest skills. But I would argue some of them, you are still being a priest in the social sense if you are doing them. Do you know what I mean? The, the way doesn't need you to use any auras or any priest skills or be part of the synod. To no, be a... absolutely not. And I, and I think um, 
the question of who the priest is a, is a kind of complicated one and it's often kind of nation, quite nation dependent. But certainly, and it's sort of interesting again, I think, you know, the, the league, the priest architect there, the primary one is the bishop, of course, which is intimately tied into the political stuff. So, you know, a priest in the league is mostly, but not necessarily, someone who go, goes out and engages the political game. But that's just not the case at all in some of the other nations where the political axis is in a very different place. It's interesting because I guess in a world in which you have, first of all, there's no there's no gods in empire or sorry, there's no gods in the imperial religion. I, I think it's probably not the biggest spoiler in the world to suggest that the Asavian gods probably aren't real. Um, but there's regardless of whether they are or are not, the, 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 there's no gods in the empire world. So. Your ability to produce auras is well understood by players to have no relationship to how virtuous you actually are. And it certainly well, does that's not a... reflect how much approval you have by the God of Wisdom. There's no, no sense at all where it represents a divine mandate. Whereas in the real world, if I could walk round and heal the sick and make the lame stand up, I might legitimately say, look, I have a divine mandate. You should listen to me and do what I say because I've got cleric magic. Well, um, it's it, 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 interesting you say that, of course, because um, explicitly uh, the, appropri the appropriate role-playing for the use of the Kerugian skill can be faith healing. Mm. Um, I think most people play, when they're playing med medics or sort of players in a kind of a more realistic surgery sort of way, but sort of explicitly call that as an example, is that actually if you want to role play that you're using your virtue to sort of pull the wounds off people, you totally can do. Um, but that's not actually related to kind of the other stuff that happens. Um, Crucially, my, my point is in a world in which there is magic, I don't think anyone would be impressed if I, you know, be impressed. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and we do have, I mean, we talk about Paragon exemplars and one of, one of the things there is that they can do miracles which are some of these stuff but other things above and beyond the kind of standardized aura production that, that any pc can do uh, it, 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 and it, it's that thing i think you were saying a little bit in our chat but if something is something that anyone can do it, it doesn't feel like a a miracle when they do it because everyone knows that you can buy priest skills and they produce auras it doesn't seem like a there's a there's an interesting comparison with magic it, 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 people talk a lot about how they want magic to feel mystical and peculiar and so on and so forth but when you can go and look at a list of every spell and how it works it yeah. becomes quite challenging to create that feeling of, of mysteriousness and some players manage it quite well and other players don't but our default setting assumption is that magic is a skill it, yeah. it is a thing that people know about how it works what it does they can look at those lists of skills and rituals and talk about them like that and it's something similar i think with the religion the virtues produce the auras that the virtues produce priest skills do the things that priest skills do and none of that is hidden from the players but i no. suspect there's something actually that goes into the human psyche about you know we one of the interesting things about empires and this is a slightly off topic now of religion but why are the things that players can do so easily undervalued by the players themselves and i think part of the reason is it's part of the human psyche to attach great importance to the things we don't understand uh, so let, let me give you a stupid example. If I stood in front of you and turned water into wine, as perhaps the, I don't, I'm not trying to pick on any real religion, but if I turn water into wine and say, I am a divine messenger from God, I can prove it. Look, 
a bunch of people would be supremely impressed because they would have no idea how that was done. If, on the other hand, I go, look, I am divinely empowered. God, God has put his trust in me. I can get in my car, turn the car keys and the car goes. No one would be impressed by that. We, we, even though, actually, uh, there's an astonishing array of things happening in making a car go. Just an, a mind boggling array of incredibly difficult and complex things have happened to make the car go. And yet we are utterly unimpressed by that all the time in the real yes. world. I mean, I mean, I, I will say, coming back to the magic thing, it, it, it can't, it's occasionally, you know, that having that miss, that, that uh, maybe not mystery, but the kind of the, the, that feeling that magic is still magical and not because you want to avoid it falling into a kind of a scientific look at things just because I, I often think that's, that's not a route to having fun um, because it, then you end up with... Uh, I've got a different discussion about trying to discover the limits of magic or whatever. And as you said, as you, as you said a lot, Matt, Matt you, you ran that game already in Maelstrom. Yeah. Um, it's, it's arguably one of the contentious points about the religion, because while we don't particularly go out of a way to make magic feel magical, there are uh, <laughs> our spiritual stuff has some areas that are not given to players and that they will probably never be able to find out the full details of yes exactly and, and quite deliberately so which, which actually mm. I, I very much like that we um we talk a lot about being careful i'm careful how i say this being careful that a particular plot doesn't inadvertently say this is definitely wrong or this is definitely right as much as possible because you want people to be doing theological arguments and, and engaging with stuff and, and, and having those interesting discussions. So, you know, and that game is clearly not for everyone, but some people can spend ages and ages talking about anything. But if you if we if we provide answers to those things, then it takes that away, I think. And so um, the solution kills the mystery. It just kills it stand dead. Well, exactly. I mean, I mean, I mean, we have a, we have an entire turtle about that um, for that reason. Uh, you, one of the things you uh, you put on the list to talk about during the podcast, it possibly is something we can segue into here, is the idea that there are other religions in the game world and what they're for. And one of our other things we do is we try very hard not to say any one religion is definitely right or wrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, Matt sort of alludes to the Asavian religion having a few kind of flaws on the run, and you can definitely say that's the case. But actually, the Asavian religion is kind of an interesting example of one where. I mean, I'm very. Do, do you mind if I point out your verbal, your tick that you do in every single piece of writing you do about Asavea, Andy? What's that? Go for it. The, well, the, the, the way, uh, so you very commonly say things like the high priest of the god of war, who is by coincidence the, uh, the, the head general or whatever. So clearly they have a society in which religion is very tied up in things which are like kind of guilds or civil society or whatever. And so it's easy to, it's, it's easy to say, oh, that looks a bit fake. But actually, we don't say necessarily that there's no truth at all there. It's not something we're exploring. and It will never be a focus of the game. But do you know what I mean? Like, It's absolutely. about separating uh, numinosity from, uh, from religion. Yeah, exactly. Um, the the, the, the SFM religion is not very numinous at all, really. Um, no. No, the it's... way at its very core doesn't actually require the auras. Well, indeed, and that's the Lucidian heresy, isn't it? Uh, I think there's a there's a but there's a really interesting point here. Um, 
I, 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 I want to talk about the Acerbeans because, my God, goodness, I love the Acerbeans and I love their religion. But we're, we're not going to talk about the Acerbean religion. Um, but it comes back to that, that issue you've just hit about numinous. Most of the empire's religion is not numinous. Uh, there are no contact the dead, no contact the gods and get. Uh, you don't read the flights of birds, etc, etc. Most well, of I, the... I'm not sure I completely agree with that. I think you can get a sense of numinosity from it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily something that's in the design of it, but it's, you know, I, I, players but... create numinosity in the way that they present their religion. I, I don't want to detract from that. I think I've absolutely seen it happen. Um, I, I think there is a numinous element to it. That's, I mean, that's what I was trying to get to. But I think there is a part of the religion which is built to be a huge, big structure, which is the synod and the temporal. And there's nothing about the synod which is numinous. There's no, there's yeah, no nation true. where it says they pick the most miraculous seeming priests and send them along. To the synod. I, I, I will say that in some nations there is a sense of numinosity, but it does not necessarily derive from the way. So the example that springs to mind is the Navari concept of the Great Dance, mm -hmm. uh, which is, if you look at it a bit closely, not quite compatible with the orthodox understanding of the way. It's certainly a bit heterodox around the edges. But this notion that if you lose someone you love, you will find them again, that we are all engaged in a great dance that, that stretched across time. I think that is a that is actually a very numinous and spiritual concept. Sure. But which, then... is, which is incorporated within the religion, but it's not actually the entire. I mean, it's, a, it's the way in which the way within the setting kind of when it's spread out from high guard across the in all of the nations had to sort of integrate itself with each of their existing sort of notions of spirituality and so forth i think that's why every different nation feels differently about it in many ways but the, but yes I, but but there are also numinous elements to the very metaphysics of the world itself uh, mm -hmm. exemplars and the miracles that happen the around them are, are clearly the paragons are clearly numinous yeah. uh they they are and they are inexplicable and yeah. they are, are unreproducible and they are they are miracles they are absolutely and the, spontaneous but, auras um an obvious example that i think most players will be aware of are the divine tea towels yep but yes that the, yes yes some people turned up and, and and as a result their actions spontaneous auras were created i, I believe technically those were spontaneous malign spiritual presences i believe uh, so um the point is that that is a numinous element but it's largely yes. divorced deliberately from the the temporal politics and for a good reason and that is because we as the game organizers are deciding when to insert those numinous elements you, yeah, you don't get to pop down to god and say i'd really like to have a miracle at 3 p.m please we we pick those numinous elements and add well, them in. I, I actually I can't believe we've not talked about it much but i, I think the most consistent bit of numinosity is it where that we produce in the game is a past life vision which i mean i shan't spoil it i suppose for anyone who hasn't experienced one but uh when someone does a past life vision there is a ceremony that they do before they go in and basically i think it's a wonderful piece of writing it's a wonderful piece of physical theater that you sort of do there's lots of kind of interesting experiential kind of science of experience sort of reasons as to why they do it before they give you your vision that's probably all i'll say about it but that actually i mean i've i've never had it as a player but i've been sitting at the back for a bunch of them and it's a properly like you know hairs on the back of your head stand up sort of moment it's really cool um 
and that is a, a and a, it's the reason actually why within the setting past life visions kind of drive you know they they are although they're a rare thing they did drive where the religion came from is because i think they are the one really consistent example of a thing which is rare and quite numerous and, and a bit special and you'll get something different each time if you sort of mean you, yeah. you don't know what you're going to see when you see your past life vision you in many ways they fill that role that magic might do in a classic fantasy novel they are utterly mysterious alluring yeah. inexplicable and profound well, we, we had a past life vision last year where again i sort of say the details but something happened in it which was outside of what the person going into its perspective and i i Broadly, 30 seconds in, I suddenly, uh, I rose up from the floor um, and previously um, the player who was in thought I'd been some rags and I scared the living daylights out of them. Out of them. Uh, she's a good friend of mine and she, uh, she was very pleased afterwards I scared the living daylights out of them. Now, that was good because it was an example of what's called like, um, you, you know, the point is that I, I, I do not ever is anticipating confirming exactly what was going on there because past life visions give us opportunities to put in things which are hard to explain and of course because then they're over and you're back within the world uh, and then you sort of just have to interpret kind of what happened and there are ways to kind of get clues and information about that but so i i really like i mean i it's why i think you know, the best past life visions are ones where it's not just an experience that one player has and doesn't tell anyone about but an experience that then ripples out across the field um uh yeah but, but, but here's um, my point uh, the temporal process decides who gets a past life vision. Yes, that's absolutely the, true. The past life vision, who gets a past life vision, almost totally does not determine who gets temporal power. And, and I want to be careful exactly how I say this. What we show someone in a past life vision doesn't necessarily have to correlate with the impact that they're having that past life vision has on the field. I, 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 we can think of high profile kind of cases where like past life visions have had a big impact on the field but it's the fact of it's the temporal fact of having had the past life vision which has been the biggest driver of that in many ways the nature of past life vision is that there are exactly two people at most who will ever know exactly what was in that room yeah and and i mean we have a a a, a player and now a title that she holds uh, and a few people around her who have done a really good job of interviewing people after their past life visions and recording those visions. So they're, so they're much more well known than they might be. But there's nothing to stop people lying. And that's, I think, really important. It doesn't even need to be lying. I mean, um, having, having read a number of those, it is sometimes interesting to see what players have told um the writer of those uh of those collections whether yeah, they've misremembered or misinterpreted or whether we've presented yeah, things I, 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 the, the, the fascinating thing about you know it, it, what what people take out from it i mean i i don't i don't think it's a secret that sometimes we'll, we'll look at a past life vision from the past and go i'm not really sure what the players got from that so we'll we, we sometimes go and look at that account because although that's not the only source and sometimes i do a bit of kind of listening out uh, for other for other channels it's quite a good rule of thumb to say that if, if something if a if a detail didn't appear in that and that character is also and then then say that character is also now dead that detail is just lost and we shouldn't assume that it's out there and playing someone i think there's a yeah there's a the way people interpret past life visions is really interesting uh, to go back to my other point my point is what those players did with that past life vision was incredibly powerful because the 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 the, the 
you know, incredibly positive for the game because the consequence was that players pushed back against the idea yeah. that, that the numinous element get granted you temporal influence that it, and, 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 play, and that pushback established something really important for our game. Uh, but in terms of interpreting them, they're really interesting. I think if you've never had one, the analogy I would use is imagine we're going to pick a Shakespeare play that you've never seen and know nothing about. Uh, but you're not going to watch the whole Shakespeare play. We're going to pick one scene. And not only that, you're not going to be in the audience sat watching it. We're going to make you be one of the random characters in that scene. And but we're not going to give you the script. Not going to give you the script, and we're not going to tell you which character it is. Anyway, I'll push you on stage. The curtain will go up. You'll do your part. And the curtain will go down, and then that's literally the only thing you know about the whole play. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy concept. I mean, there are there are ritual methods of perhaps finding out a little more about the past life vision, but even they, that's a bit like uh, to use your next analogy, uh, then having a peek at like the top of someone's program um, as you're bustled out of the theatre. But that's that's all you get to see. I think your point about how the Yale business ended up, it kind of stemmed into a point that I know Andy wanted to make, which is how important orthodoxy is. We really like that players have an orthodoxy. You know, you can imagine one of the reasons I think we're slightly more comfortable at this stage in the game of having a few more plots where mainly NPCs are a bit less orthodox is because the game has now had long enough for the orthodoxy to bed down. But you don't want you didn't you wouldn't have wanted at the start of the game everyone to have their own pet heresy no consistency i think broadly there is an orthodoxy about what the way is how to interpret it that exists that exists within play and that that's really good because it means that when you get a few because when you get a few players who want to we will provide a list of heresies on the wiki if you get someone who wants to push that that means that people can go ah oh, that's not right and push back against it and that hopefully gives fun for both those people. Yeah, but, again, credit, I think, there to Dan Williams, who yeah, did yeah, yeah, almost yeah. all the work on those heresies. And in yeah, some ways, you know, there's a possibility that he can take 99% of the credit for how orthodox the religion is in empire because i would suggest that kind of what he did was sit down and think of all the ways that you could come up with crazy ideas that would be different to the core religion you know take the core religion and then sort of mentally work your way through different things that you could say and then he wrote all of them up and said these are heresies and everyone's like yeah those are heresies we know they're heresies so i i don't know um i i, I don't really know down that well so personal background and academic background is but certainly i have for different reasons, been reading recently about some of the the names and just the concepts of some of the heresies in uh, the Catholic Church in particular, and sort of the different ways, and specifically about the Trinity. And there's mm. some some amazing names for stuff that often named after some early church figure who was like, well, what? And, and interpreting the the doctrine of the Trinity, which I shan't directly opinion on because it's not my religion, but you know that clearly has a, that is a a really theologically complex thing which is central to a lot of people's faith. And there are definitely ways of interpreting it, which kind of clearly in the early Catholic Church perhaps got some purchase and then was were rejected and so forth. And there's there's, a, there's, a, there's these sort of lovely lists about basically, oh, you might think that the Trinity means this, but that's that's not right and so forth. And it sort of feels like the the list of heresies in empires attempting to do the, the similar sort of thing. But and it, something something I think was implied by what you just said, but wasn't explicit, is that almost the religion's orthodoxy is defined by what it is not yes yeah. 
Yes, but also I, 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 there's just power in labelling things. If you just say heretics, heretics are bad and people burn them, but we've given no examples of heresy, then I think everyone would have understood heresy was bad, but nobody would have gone around attaching that label to, to, to wrong think. No, uh, but, but But actually, it doesn't matter whether you get all of the, you know, players could come up with brand new ideas, but there'll always be something on the list of heresies that it looks a bit like. Well, in, in fairness, I, I, I have heard heresies in play which look nothing like any of those, so that's not Fair quite... enough. The other key element that you're missing that, that also helps us, by the way, is the doctrine. Which Dan also wrote. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The, doc the, the fact that that is, that is a very clear way of telling you something is heretical or blasphemous. If it's not on the list of heretics and blasphemies, but it contradicts one of the now nine things that we hold as true, then it's definitely heresy and or blasphemy. And, and uh, yes, uh, it's in, <laughs> which gets us onto the debate about what heresy is and what blasphemy is. That's, uh... Oh, gosh, I always get those wrong. Well, I think, though, even if you come up with some, and you're right, undoubtedly players can come up with things that are nothing like the heresies in play. But the moment you're going through the tick list of known heresies and comparing this thing you're hearing to the tick list of known heresies, you're, you're effectively going through a falsification process. And the best you can get out of it is, I can't definitely say it's already been proved to be a heresy, but it's what? not in the doctrine. So it sounds dodgy. Well, I, I mean, in fairness, I mean, there's anything now which we sort of imply that some of the heresies that exist are proven or not proven. But both there's this implication in the setting that perhaps um, knowledge was lost in the sort of standard way in the setting because libraries were burnt and so forth. But also, you know, it's okay if there are heresies where it's like, well, we've we've widely regarded over 400 years that this is a heresy. That so that when comes up, someone comes up with it. You don't go, ah, oh, we shall empirically test it. You go, mate, I'm sorry, this is a this is a heresy. Yeah. So if we like the players being orthodox, why do we include heresies at all? Ah, uh, because transgression is great. Transgression is interesting and produces conflict and game. And you know, we don't want everyone to be cursing the empire all the time. But when a few years back there were a group of players who made it their business to curse the empire quite substantially, quite a lot. I think that produced some fascinating um, and really Just a lot of conflict and drama. Conflict and drama that was really valuable for the game. You but know, of course, uh, you can't have that transgression without the orthodox. Exactly. If everyone is heterodox, you've got nothing, nothing. Right. It, it's well. I, I mean, then it, yes, exactly. And I mean, it's interesting because, as we sort of alluded to before, I think many of the nations of the empire, especially some of them have heterodoxy kind of at their core, but it's, a, it's, a, it's at sort of acceptable levels. Um, yeah. But if it ever erupted out, or if, so, you know, a good example of this is if the, the marchers, a traditional belief in the marchers is that um, if you, uh, the, the, the unvirtuous people might reincarnate as animals, um, at vermin specifically. Now that is, uh, that is, that, that is not the, 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 what the way says, um it's definitely not the common understanding to this but no one re i mean you know no one really seems willing to that that's, that's kind of okay but i i absolutely guarantee you that if a bunch of marchers marched down to the synod and tried to get everyone bad people become rats a pastor's doctrine everyone will suddenly go oh, that's definitely heresy um so it, it's about it's about the sort of um you know live and let live element of some of it but then clearly it can then stray into you know it's a spectrum and yes. I feel like you feel confident that, um, and I can think of, I, I shan't go to spe mention specifics, but I can think of sort of recent examples where, you know, you have people sort of bumping around at like, you know, 5%, 10% heretical, and someone sort of 
goes up to 15% and then so that's above tolerance levels and somehow everyone is now like, oh, whoa, 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 sunshine. Uh, it's a little bit too far. Um, I, I suppose the other thing is um, you can't quite get over the pop cultural leviathan that is Warhammer 40k. Um, <laughs> we, 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 by which I mean, you know, heresy as a sort of metic thing you shout at people is a thing in that. But I think Heresy and Empire does a good job of mostly not being that and actually having some, because as you say, there are things to discuss. Yeah, it's never really clear what Heresy is in Warhammer 40k. Well, that's a, I, 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 play a, I play a priest in a, in a 40k LARP. Let me tell you, it's, it's deeply unclear. Uh, okay, there you go. Uh, yeah it's a very different setting isn't it um i get the impression that heresy is very much in the eye of the beholder in, in uh, well I, 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 I yes exactly and that works because in that game you play inquisitors and you you know that you're going to meet people who are definitely heretics and definitely right. worship warp demons right there are people i some of my best friends are acceptable levels of heretic in that some people are definitely not and that's all fine but you're right it, it becomes kind of a hammer to beat people with whereas but but you know because i think uh, empire does a good job i think i think mostly of, of avoiding the, the, the difference though that the key difference is that you don't have to struggle to convince people heresy is bad when everybody knows deep down that nurgle and corn are real right but it's right, a right. harder pitch to convince people that heresy is bad when peace is real, oh, we can't have the threat of peace. That's a that's right. a heretical concept. Right, we can't have you know uh, justice and freedom and peace. Yeah. Uh, it's hard those sound like quite heretical words, frankly. You're not talking it, I, about vengeance and anarchy. Well, it's uh, harder to convince people that peace is bad than it is to convince them that corn is bad. Yes, I think it's probably it, it, it's probably true. But, but this is one of the really this is one of the really nice things. I have heard players give really interesting the, theological justifications as to why kind of the false virtues are bad. And so, you know, the, the point is that people put some effort into doing that convincing, but they have to do the work. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They do, but the setting has set out to, to give them a supportive landscape. Absolutely, exactly. You know, and and it's, it's, it endorses that work and it says this is this is what you should be doing and it is what we should be doing. I mean, yes, I mean, you know, I, 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 you could imagine a scenario where the, the, the argument is profoundly lost and someone decides that hatred really actually does have to be a virtue. Well, I think things would have to go very, very wrong for that to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. the, and I feel... If you have, imagine you've got a group of players who decide that what they want is one of the false virtues to become a real virtue. And let's say they pick hatred because they want to make their job hard. I feel really confident that if they manage that, somehow they have convinced a lot of players genuinely of a thing that there is real resistance to. Whereas if the orthodoxy was a lot looser, I think it would be a lot easier to do that. And I think it would, it be... would be much easier to do it if the other players didn't care. And I think the, the, the big success at the end of the day of, of where our religion is, is that our players play characters who care about the religion and they do yeah, that because I'm, they care I'm about not, it. I'm not sure that's necessarily universal, but certainly. Oh, no, 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 no. That, that's fairly true. I think a lot of our players don't care about the religion at all. But the players who count from a religious point of view, the sinner players, there is a significant number of them who actually care about the religion and spend time talking about it and discussing it like it's a real thing. One of the things that's worked really well is I think the synod gives power 
to orthodox players, orthodox characters, not players. Uh, and I think that helps to support orthodoxy uh, and, and helps to reward orthodoxy. Well, by giving power, you mean because... You because... become things like cardinals. Well, and, well what's, what I find quite interesting there, though, is that you can successfully have a heterodox or even heretical cardinal if a particular assembly gets a majority of, you know, which actually is a really interesting political dynamic, right? You could, um, it's really, really hard to have the entire general synod become heretical, but like absolutely you could imagine a scenario where a particular assembly, because the way the synod is constructed becomes... That is possible, but I um, think endemically, it's well, system, systematically, it encourages orthodoxy by giving yeah. power to the orthodox. Because yeah. the problem is, if you turn up with your heretical belief, there's probably only you and three other people who, who believe in it. At which point, you're not going to get voted into anything. Um, and, and actually, even if everyone, or if 50% of the players... Well, I'll, work, I will point out that at some points in the past, assemblies, some of the national assemblies have consisted of four people. So Sure, sure, sure. But, 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 but I'm trying to talk generally yeah yeah, yeah. not about the specific so yeah. the point is even if 50 percent of the players were heretics they'd all turn up with different heresies and none of them would support <laughs> each other effectively we put the, the center of gravity on orthodoxy and, and and orthodoxy is what is primarily rewarded and so players support the orthodoxy and that there's some beautiful moments i remember role playing with nick bradbeer i was playing my magistrate and he was having to convince me that um, they should, the Constitutional Court should let the Senate amend it to make it more difficult to declare someone an exemplar. I think it was an exemplar. It might have been a parent. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was. Uh, I think it might have been both, but I, I know the one you mean. Yeah. But there was two. There was now. In character, he had some beautiful arguments. It was just a fantastically enjoyable role playing in which he he was eloquent and convincing and, and and florid and very very articulate so he convinced me in character on it and we wouldn't allow that except for the fact we were right on a knife edge over whether we'd allow this or not but out of character he had a trump card and his out of character trump card was i want to make the world more orthodox and less easy for people to just change in some arbitrary way and and don't want to make the world uh, more heterodox uh, and at the point where he was basically defending the orthodoxy he was always you know he was batting downhill instead of uphill so to speak yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you you would you would i imagine if uh, the senate attempted to change the law so that uh changing doctrine only required a lesser majority in the um yeah in the assembly you would be rather less inclined yeah. Constitutional Court says no. Um, <laughs> and you've touched by mentioning the Senate. You've you've opened up an opportunity for me to talk about one of the one of the terrible terrible downsides to our religion. Go on. Um, it causes trouble for other players. It does. Mm. I think I think I think As most of the Senate would would quite wish the Senate didn't exist. Uh, indeed. So for ex and and one of the ways we've baked that into the system, it is a feature, not a bug, in case anybody was uh, was unclear where I was coming from, is all the other nations have got their own religions, which they believe in. Yes, exactly. I mean, and, and or in some cases, the same religion. Uh, <laughs> yes, which they also believe in. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, shall we talk a little bit about the other nations? Um, I don't, we don't necessarily need to go into specifics, but talking about the fact that well, all so, these other NPCs care about their religion just as much as the Synod cares about its religion. When we talk about nations, we're not supposed to talk about the foreigners. I mean, the, the Jotun have a religion. Sorry, I meant foreign nations. One well, of the things I think is nice sure, about but, 
Um, my my point is uh, the 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 Jotun having a religion is actually I think quite important to the war they conduct. If you see what I mean, even though they mostly exist for the empire as a, an enemy on the battlefield. One yeah, of the, yeah I, the, the point I was going to make is actually one of the things that's interesting about empire. Everyone, I, I don't think there's any society in empire that doesn't have a religion, uh, I, which I would argue is pretty realistic if you look at the real world. Yeah. Um, but also they're all different. Um, mm -hmm. And they all agree with the metaphysical facts available to them, which I think is is nice. Um, you, you can't you can't prove the Asadian gods aren't true. You can't prove that the Yatoon ideas about who does and who does not get across the Great Abyss. I have, I have to say, I I find the 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 Iron Confederacy six uh, six. Okay. Um, who, yeah, who, okay. Some of the religions are not as convincing they're, as others. Like, again, exactly. though, again, though, you're focusing on the the divine magic element of it and yeah, not no, the religion. The, the Iron Confederacy religion actually works quite well for the Iron yes, Confederacy. Yes, it does for them, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, uh, so, and yes, and so absolutely, their religions are absolutely central. And particularly the more religious you are, the more central it is to your to your your philosophy and your way of life. Does, 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 does Yarm doesn't have its own? Yarm doesn't have a um, Yarm and the Sark the Sovereign Davis is an odd one. Yarm basically believes that religion is a personal matter, and consequently, as long as religion stays out of politics, you can believe what you like. Right. Yes. Um, so it doesn't have its own religion. Rather, it is a massive melting pot of right, what yes. anybody who wants to believe but can believe. Uh, and the Dells, as you say, is quite the fun. monsters. Uh, Yes, I was very focused on the continent they're on, but you're right. Um, the overseas continents are different. It's only really Jarm. Sarkofan has its own religion. It's just another one of the nations that is somewhat more open-minded about religion because it doesn't really. It's not a core theme for that nation. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I actually quite enjoyed parts of the Sumar conflict because it's a really interesting example of how having the same religion does not mean you will get on with people. <laughs> you might argue, and I do constantly, that that is a core element of the virtues, uh, is that as soon as you have a religion that tells you things like what you are loyal to is important or you should be proud of your stuff and you give that to people who aren't your friends, they are yes. less likely to be your friends, not more likely. Yes, the virtue. I mean, we, we talk a lot about how Liao is a bit of a petrol, petrol based accelerant to mm. fires. Yes, I think that's definitely. It plays to the out of character, to the out of character mechanic that you respond to a role playing effect appropriate to your role playing. Yes. So making somebody more proud, you so, can't, so, yeah. You can't One of my favourite, my favourite orc nation, oh, by, just by miles, is the Grendel. And the point where I fell in love with them was the bit where I wrote their religion system and their, their version of the seven virtues. <laughs> we, so we, we, should, we should be careful what we say about that, because that is public. But yeah, yeah so it is true that... Um, but it's uh, central to them and who yes. they are. Yes, exactly. But, but they're, they're, the, way, the way they feel about religion is very different. I think that's quite interesting too. Um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, you, so it's interesting because then you've got the fool who... The, the, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say too much about the fool. We talk no, about it, it in our Wind of Fortune flavour text. That's the furthest we've actually got to talk about the fool religion. But okay. as Matt said, everybody's got one. And the fool do have what amounts to a religion. Yes, yes, indeed. But so uh, do the druge. But again, we haven't really been public about no, that. Uh, exactly, yeah, I couldn't remember what it was. Uh, and it's, it's, it, it's, that, it's that thing because as in the real world uh religion is often a sticking point do you know what i mean it's it's uh it's hard to uh it, if people have deeply held sincere beliefs and you have a different set of deeply held sincere beliefs they're probably not gonna saying to them your deeply held sincere beliefs are wrong is really often going to fly <laughs> yes 
Um, but uh, yeah, I still think the, the nice thing about Empire is that you're never going to, well, you're just not, you're never going to be in a situation where it's just simply a game fact and an easily establishable, reproducible game fact. There's, there's an obvious example I quite like, which is that the Way and the Axos religion both use the same set of facts. Yeah. They don't disagree on any of the on any of the actual facts of, of what people believe to be the case about souls and, and virtues and things. They simply fundamentally disagree on everything that that means. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that's one of our more successful foreign religions. Yeah, because uh, they, 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 they just think the library is, is just a bad thing. And it... yeah, you just flip some of the ideas on their head. But it's hard to disprove that what they are saying is the case. Oh, I, because I, all their observable facts are the same. Because all their observable facts are the same. I, I absolutely love the actress religion. Uh, it's, it's lovely. I mean, I mean it's, uh, it's, just, just, it's just great to write for and things. And it's a really interesting mindset as well. Um, I think one of the things that, that has been interesting over the five or six years we've been running is learning to run and write plot in a way that absolutely does not produce new observable facts that establish things that should be in the, within the realm of belief and faith and take them out of that realm and put them in the realm of, of science and, 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 and knowledge. Some of the things that have come out about orcs recently i'm thinking of things like the new druge potions for example have uh, have hinted that there is more going on with the orcs but sure. I, I i think i think it's all right to do it to a degree i just think it's it's, it's worth saying it's something which we're really really cautious about doing because mm. every time you make every time you make a decision to introduce anything which might be a new fact that is a that is something you can't undo and so, I guess, and it's more in the nature of adding additional flavour or context. We haven't actually introduced yeah. new facts no, 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 since no, no, the very exactly. beginning that orcs yeah. are their ancestors. Yeah, when no. you say undo, I mean, let's be clear, you know, uh, at the end of the day, this is a creative effort. So there is an element at which we could just have Superman be alive again. There is always the, uh, the, the option yeah, for okay, that. But there's something much more fundamental than that. When you move things out of the realm of the mysterious, and the faith-based, and the you you make them less numinous. You make them less a, a matter of the of of consciousness and of experience and of belief and of faith, and you move them into the realm of two plus two equals four. It, it's very yeah, hard so, to get that mysteriousness back. So I think it's interesting how because there's the, the, this concept of in the empire that you might the empire does do things like the past. You know they can debate past life visions are examples of experiences which happen but then people can do, then people can do theology about but the point is actually like it it, it, it it will always produce i think more debate than it answers questions if you see what i mean i hope so certainly well i hope we've produced more debates than we've settled um i think that's you know that's probably a good place to to, to bring it to a close there i think that is that is kind of the epitaph of, of religion in, in some ways the thing i'd like on its tombstone is it produced more debates than it settled yes, um, <laughs> yes that's very good i think i think we're, we, we've, we, we've we've yeah maybe maybe in a year two's time we'll have more to say about religion but i think we've said everything so thank you everyone for listening i hope you've enjoyed this podcast uh feel free to post up uh when we stick up the link on facebook some ideas for what we might do next because we've done really well on getting these out and so we'll, we'll yeah. try and it's only taken us three years isn't it shush shush, shush. We're, we're very productive at the moment so um, thank you everyone for listening and we'll hopefully see you cool. soon Love cool. to talk to you all. see ya bye one voice one piece.